Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hey everyone, happy holidays. It's December 2017 if you happen to be listening to this long after it's been published. Right now, though, it's not too early to buy yourself a little gift, like attending the ACPLS annual meeting in San Francisco next October. We're planning for the week of October 22nd. We'll let you know when we have that exact date locked down. But your registration is refundable until September 10th in any case. So why not use some of those end-of-year funds and save big for a double win? Registration is only $649 until January 31st. That represents a huge savings compared to waiting until August or September. Go to acp-ls.org, click on the 2018 annual meeting link, and I hope to see you by the bay next year. Now, let's jump into it, shall we? Welcome back, everybody. Today, I'm speaking with... Keith Osowitz, he's the Vice President of Business Development at Ingenix Corporation. Ingenix provides intelligent content management and digital experience software. So today we're talking about uh, personalization in the context of customer portals specifically. And this is really cool. A little bit about the Internet of Things, which are now coming to the analytical instrument world. So Keith, welcome back to Life Science Marketing Radio. Hi, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. So um, we're going to talk about portals, as I mentioned, and the personalization that um, is enabled by having one of these in your marketing. So if we're thinking about the buyer's journey, what we're talking about here is mostly post-sale customer loyalty and retention, which is probably the most important marketing you can do, right? Yeah, that's right. It's uh, it's well-known most companies make uh, more and more of their sales based on their current customers. And uh, in the buyer's journey, you're getting to the point uh, with a good portal that you can build that, that customer loyalty and retain them and present new products and new services that start the cycle all over again. So a new purchase, which results in new customer support and on and on again. Exactly. So uh, just so we're all on the same page, I think people might be able to imagine what we mean by a portal, but um, you know, maybe not, and I just wanna make sure we're all thinking about the exact same thing. Explain what we mean by a portal. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, because I think that term uh, has been used for a long time, and uh, it's, people have a different image in their head when you say it. Basically, uh, a portal is um, a part of your website that uh, you log into, and it's gotten, uh, as, as time has gone on and digital marketing has become more important and more sophisticated, it's, um, the, the portal is, has grown in importance and will often include API integrations. It's API is a technical term that basically it integrates different databases so that when somebody logs onto your website, they're seeing data from marketing automation systems like Eloqua or HubSpot, uh, 
CRMs like Salesforce, uh, knowledge man management systems, um, all kinds of different systems that present a very rich, um, compelling, and personalized experience. Got it. Yeah, that, that was helpful to me. Even I wasn't even thinking about all those different integrations, but it makes total sense. So what types of activities, if I'm a customer, I'm going into my portal, what kinds of things are am I experiencing? What kinds of things do I go in there to do? How does it work? Yeah, so it, uh, some examples uh, in life sciences I think uh, listeners would really um, be interested in are um, specifically around things like instrumentation. So if you're a company that sells instruments to uh, scientists, well, uh, there's a lot of information that, that uh, are, is required for the use of that instrument. Somebody logging in will um, often have a problem. And um, having a listing of the instruments that they own from you they can uh, look at each instrument and find out um, what problems people are having using a community, for instance. They can uh, join the discussion to try to uh, solve their problem or maybe learn a different application with that instrument. Or perhaps they um, would like some documentation that is uh, provided by the company. So maybe it's um, a technical specification or um, or a training manual and being able to log in and then have that associated with the instrument right when they log in is is going to save them a lot of time uh, from hunting and hunting around other pieces of information um, service contracts you know when is it running out um, what does the service contract allow you to get in terms of uh, support services or um, classes, right? So somebody is uh, logging in and they would like to do an application that they're not very familiar with. Well, there's an application uh, training session, perhaps. And this should all be um, associated with that instrument and be accessible to the user. And uh, this is, has a lot of benefits, I think, for, for the user and for the company or organization that is offering this portal. Right. So we're going to get into the benefits on both sides. So you've really, you've kind of described to a reasonable degree what the personalization is about. So you log into this portal and because uh, it's connected to a database, the, um, essentially the portal knows what instruments you own already. Mm -hmm. And so it's only serving you information related to the products you already own. That's right. And and so you're looking to find it, it narrows down your search right from the beginning and then but there must be other things maybe on the front end or whatever and maybe you'll talk about these later but um, it sounds like you can probably do a lot more customization than just narrow the search to what someone already owns yeah absolutely right I think I think the way that you should think of a website is it's your number one uh, method for communicating with your customers and um, if you think about it, there's even the company with a very large sales organization, the number one way that they're going to interact with you is going to the website. There's no um, sales organization that can reach um, tens of thousands of people a day as um, some of the companies I've, I've worked with do 
And um, what's what's really going on is 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 your website is the face of your company. And if you think about what that relationship should be, it should be as personal as possible, right? Like you want to be able to um, not just say, hey, we have a product for you. You want to say to the customer, we have this specific product that's going to fix your specific problem. And here are some um, uh, ways that we can present this to you in a way that you like. So for instance, um, being able to um, learn about a product because there is a seminar in your city. So if you um, have an instrument or a consumable reagent and you've used it before um, and there happens to be a seminar in, in your region, in your city, that should be the first thing that people see on the website. They should go to the landing page, the homepage and say, oh, there's this uh, training and a happy hour afterwards and um, here is some documentation around this new product that will help you. That is very compelling. If you just go to a website and it's a generic website and it's generic for everybody, uh, the relationship you've got with your customer uh, is, is it's not very compelling. They're less lo uh, loyal to you and you're not going to really participate in that, that positive feedback cycle that we just talked about earlier, which is you know, post-sales support gets more sales, which leads to more post-sales support. That cycle is kind of broken at that point. Right. Well, you had me at happy hour, so let's oh, skip good. the train. Let's skip the training. And, um, <laughs> so, um, so you, you now you're hinting at this a little bit. So, what are? Um, let's talk about the benefits to the vendor. So, I think people can understand. You know, this idea of personalization. A customer goes in and and they're seeing information that is uniquely relevant to them based on what they own and their geography and who knows what else. But um, if I'm a vendor, what what's the portal doing for me you mentioned you know post sales support leading to more sales what does that look like yeah well i think the the most important thing to start with is getting the customer um the information they need in a cost efficient way i think um what i've seen in my uh, career is companies that have been around a while will often have this uh, unfortunate situation where um, people, customers will call people within the organization that they have worked with in the past. And these people <laughs> have often moved on to different roles in the organization, but somehow they seem to um, maintain those relationships. You want that in some ways, but the bad thing is um, it, it often results in a very poor support experience. And you, you'll often have many, many people in different roles doing support. And no one knows this. No one's really documenting this. And um, what you want to do is um, have a better, more centralized support experience that, number one, allows the customer, the end user, to get the support they need anytime they want it, but in a way that doesn't tax your support team. Like, that's very important because... Um, I think we all have experienced uh, support situations that seem to grow and grow and grow and, and involve more and more people. And um, what you're doing is you're fixing one person's problem instead of addressing maybe some fundamental issues in the product that could fix many people's um, problems. 
So um, what you really want to do is uh, optimize your time at all levels of the support process. So initially, you want to give the uh, customer a way to uh, get the information themselves, self-serve. So uh, some of the situations that are the ways that they can do that are knowledge-based articles, training classes, communities where they uh, work with uh, other customers or um, um, frequently asked questions, um, manuals, you know, all kinds of uh, documentation, uh, recorded webinars, all of these different ways that people can uh, do self-service. Because especially, you know, in science, uh, science is happening 24 hours a day, right? Like, as a grad student, I've worked on projects 10, 11 o'clock at night, and you're not always going to have a support person available. So there's just that that kind of a logistical aspect to it. But also, you just want to be able to um, allow the customer to get the information they need uh, very quickly and when they want it. And then from there, you're going to understand a lot more about the customer's problems and um, uh, be able to present solutions. And those solutions, again, I listed a whole bunch of uh, solutions, but it's not always information. Sometimes the solution is a new product. Um, it's a different version of software or it's a consumable that works in their particular uh, um, sample or experiment type. And that's when you make the connection to new sales. And you have to do it in a way that is, um, you know, um, uh, maintaining the relationship that you want to have with the customer. It's not bombarding them with um, all these different uh, choices of products that they should buy. It's finding what they want or what they need at that particular time. And I think a sophisticated portal can do that. So you're going to eventually uh, get to a situation where the sales team is doing more um, scouting or, or um, finding new customers or maybe non-traditional customers. And then your portal is going to be there for the support, reducing your support costs, improving the um, relationship with the customer, and then uh, helping with further uh, add-on sales. So I think that that is one kind of um, model that you can use and others have used in the life science industry that's been uh, been very practical and very successful. Yeah, I like it. And I, um, I'm still thinking about the, almost the first thing you said there, which was about how people essentially they can bond to their, you know, service technician or whatever and that person moves on to another job but uh, that's the person someone likes to talk to you and you know that person might be able to answer the question for you one it's taking him away from the job he's supposed to be mm -hmm. doing now and two there may not be a record of it it's just a phone call and then how do you know that there aren't a lot of people having this problem because he or she certainly isn't tracking it so i think yeah it's it's teaching a a new generation of customers to a new way of doing things, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, most mature companies fall into those problems. Many new companies uh, get into those bad habits without really thinking ahead. So uh, the portal idea, the portal concept, really is, is meant to ameliorate all of that. 
Yeah, yeah. Planning ahead for that is certainly worth doing. So um, we've we've talked about this a little bit uh, on this podcast before with Lenny Tatelman at Protocols.io. So he described a situation where, um, based on the software they make that tracks and branches protocols, you you got to go listen to that episode. Companies are using that uh, or collaborating with them to get the data to see how are our products being used. And, and I suppose there's information in a protocol that's, that's unique that, that gives that away. And maybe uh, when someone runs an application on an instrument, uh, maybe a, a chromatograph or something, they don't get quite so much information about what kinds of samples are going through. I don't know. Um, but that's essentially, they, he talked about using that type of information as research for future product development because they could see where their customers were trying new things. Yeah, uh, that's right. And I think, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, that, that was uh, more of a comment than anything. But is that, is that an aspect of a portal? I mean, is there information you can get, aside from problems people might be having, just about what, techniques or applications are growing in popularity and like all right this market is getting bigger or here's somewhere we should go yeah i think it's, it's even simpler than that uh you know personalization enables two-way information exchange and you're giving personalized information to the customer the end user of your website but you're looking at what your customer is looking at or you're, you're studying that to understand uh, where, what your customer base is thinking, right? So there's the explicit and the implicit choices that customers make. The explicit is when they fill out a form and they say that they're in the department of toxicology or um, they are envir in environmental testing and that's an obvious tell as to what they're doing, but not they don't always you don't always have that information or they don't always volunteer that information. But you do know if they click on an application page for toxicology or environmental testing, and they do that they do that every time they come to the site. Well, then um, you can uh, uh, take that information and update their profile in your marketing automation system or your CRM. And then, and then not only does that allow you to personalize the website further, but um, as you run campaigns, marketing campaigns, email campaigns, you could uh, uh, look at your marketing automation system and say, I need to get all of the customers that uh, have clicked on environmental, toxic, uh, environmental testing web pages in the last six months. Or um, you can even build a profile such that if they keep uh, clicking on a certain set of application pages, then they go into that category. So then you're you're being you're you're not only providing content on the website that's applicable to them, but you are building a whole profile so that all of your offline marketing and online marketing can be geared uh, to them and speak in the language that they want to be spoken in. It's uh it's a great way to to tie all of your marketing efforts together and and present um, a compelling you know information that's compelling to the end user and I could just 
I can just say one yeah. little philosophical point. Like, I do see where um, marketing is starting to take over many aspects of the sales relationship. Where um, in the in years past, before you had this digital capability, it was always the salesperson's job to be able to speak to the customer in a way that um, is very specific to them. And uh, because they know the customer in their territory. But with uh, digital methods, you're, you're being able to do so many more um, types of communication and keep track of so many people that in a, from a digital perspective, you're actually uh, surpassing the salesperson's ability to do the same thing. Right, so it's more likely now that the marketing automation system, together with the website, knows more about the end the, the customer than the, the sales the local salesperson, because they can't keep track of everything, and the uh, digital tools know all of the applications that they're using, all of the uh, activity they did, looking at frequently asked questions or or working in the uh, or participating in the community. So in a way. Um, the, that that personalized experience surpasses the personalized experience from the salesperson customer relationship. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And everything you said there helped clarify this for me. So I, for some reason, I got locked onto um, the instrument aspect and. For example, seeing errors in an instrument so that the company could look and say, oh, hey, this you know instrument is showing some problems. We could do a preemptive service call or it looks like it's heading toward a problem. And I got wrapped up in that. But really, the portal goes so far beyond that. And really, the bulk of the information probably comes from interactions with those web pages in the portal and the things that the customer is looking at on the web pages. Uh, probably to much greater extent than what is actually happening at the instrument interface. That's right. And I, I would say that the instrument interface, you know, again, a, 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 a portal is a generalized approach. It, it could be an instrument. Um, it's a very common way to do it, but it could just, if you're a consumer, a consumables vendor, it's the same thing or a services vendor. I think there's still opportunity to use a portal. Just think of the instrument um, use case as an extreme version of personalization. Right. And I think that's the way to think of this is a portal is extreme personalization. Yeah, I like that. So this is what this question is just pure technical curiosity. So I'm I mean, uh, instruments certainly now have software built into them and they can connect to the Internet. So I guess they must have. Most instruments are built with an IP address or they are assigned an IP address somehow because they connect. And then um, I don't even know where I'm going with that, but I'm just curious because wow. I don't think that has always been the case. Maybe because previously a maybe a standalone laptop talked to the computer and to the Internet, but the computer didn't really connect directly, perhaps. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to think of it, where um, there are um, companies that are growing uh, in, in importance that are essentially hubs of the Internet of Things. And um, using things like serial numbers and um, 
and owner email addresses, you can make the connections between these these hubs and um, CRM, marketing automation, and, and just instrument vendors, let's say, so that when somebody logs in, there's um, and they opt in to have their instrument that they have purchased uh, registered to have this service, that um, a lot of it happens um, once approved, of course, a lot of it happens behind the scenes to get all that set up so that then the customer is able to, again, like you were saying, uh, look to see if there are um, errors, um, uh, if, if the instrument is functioning, help troubleshoot, all of that is possible and is done by, um, by many companies. Nice. Well, Keith Oswitz, this has been really helpful and enlightening. I mean, this topic of personalization. So at last year's ACPLS meeting, um, I know that everybody, uh, we did a little session about wh what we thought was going to happen in the future. And personalization was high on the list of trends that people saw coming to marketing and, and the level of granularity that we assume we're going to need to put into our marketing in the future to do just sort of this thing to really serve our customers better. So you have opened my eyes and I'm sure my listeners eyes to what's possible and, and certainly educated them on, you know, how that can be done. So thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you, Chris. I enjoyed it. So many exciting possibilities in the future. I don't know about you, but I feel lucky to be living in these times. Everything I do day to day in my work life did not exist when I was in school. Yet here we are talking about web portals, extreme personalization, the internet of things, and the rate of change just keeps increasing. It's all very cool. I'm excited to see what comes next. Hey, Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I appreciate it very much, and I'm lucky to have made a lot of new friends because of it. You probably have two friends who would appreciate knowing about it because we have some awesome guests coming up in the new year. So please let them know and enjoy your holidays with whomever you're hanging out with for the next few weeks. And I will talk to you then. Bye-bye.